Well, if you have a Bible, let's turn to Mark chapter 14, and um, we're going to be singing that song throughout this series. We're in a brand new series that we're going to roll through the whole summer on the book of 1 Peter, and uh, I promise you, well, maybe, you may have been in a church before where there's been a study on the book of 1 Peter, but oftentimes this book is overlooked, and yet it's such a great book on the topic of hope. It's a topic of hope beyond greater than our circumstances. About 10 years ago, um, my in-laws moved from Salisbury, North Carolina to Lynchburg, Virginia, so that my father-in-law could do a PhD in counseling. And I remember when it got down to the very end of this degree, he decided to write his doctoral dissertation on the word hope. Now, one thing you need to know about my father-in-law, when he, when he starts studying something or he gets into something, he talks about it all the time. You're going to learn about whatever it is that he's studying. And so when he got into this word hope, I mean, we all as a family, it was like when we got together, we heard about hope. He talked about hope. And not only did we hear about hope, but I want to tell you something. I learned a ton about it, and I grew to love this wonderful gift that God has given us in his grace, this word called hope. Now, from the world's point of view, hope is nothing more than wishful thinking. Like, we're looking outside at the weather today, and we're just sitting here going, man, I hope that it doesn't rain anymore today. Well, it's supposed to. For some of you, if you're baseball fans, you're, you're going, I hope that the Braves will win the World Series. I'm, I'm hoping that they will. Let me tell you something, probably not going to happen, all right? For some of you, <laughs> some of you are leaving right now. For some of you who have been going through trials, you've been going through problems, you're just sitting there going, I hope these things will end. I sure hope they do. Listen, that's just wishful thinking. It's just wishful thinking. It's, but what we find in the Bible is a completely different look at the word hope. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is a strong, confident expectation in God's future faithfulness and his presence. Let me say that again. Biblical hope is a strong, confident expectation in God's future faithfulness and his presence. When we are trapped in a tunnel of pain and misery, hope points us to the light at the end of the tunnel. When we are overworked and we are exhausted, we get, we're, we're down to, to the end of our rope, hope gives us fresh energy. When we get discouraged, hope lifts our spirits. When we're tempted to quit, hope keeps us going. When we lose our way and confusion blurs our destination, hope keeps us from, from panicking. When we are struggling with a crippling disease or some kind of lingering illness, and I know some of you in this room, that's where you are right now, hope helps us to per, per, uh, persevere beyond the pain. When we fear the worst, hope brings reminders that God is still in control. When we endure the consequences of bad decisions, hope fuels our recovery. When we find ourselves unemployed, hope tells us that we still have a future, that we're not a failure. Hope, when, we, when, we, when we're in a position where we're forced to sit back and wait on God, hope gives us patience to continue to trust Him. When we say our final goodbye to someone that, that we love, hope in eternal life gets us through the grief. Simply put, when life hurts and dreams fade, nothing helps more than hope. Hope is a strong, confident expectation in God's future faithfulness and his presence. Listen, hope isn't merely a nice option that just kind of comes along and temp temporarily helps us clear a hurdle. It's essential to our survival. However, the, one of the most important things that we need to know about hope and we need to keep in mind as followers of Jesus is the answer to the question, where does our hope come from? You look at King David, 
In the Old Testament, Israel regards David as their greatest king. And you look at a guy who went from mistake to mistake, from failure to failure, a life of pain, a life of misery, running from his own son. And he says in Psalm chapter 62, verse 5, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 15, 13. He says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So our hope comes from the Lord alone. But hope is not just a nice emotion or even a feeling. Hope is anchored in a person. This is so important. Don't miss this. Our hope is, 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 is not only found in Jesus. Our hope is Jesus. David says in Psalm 71 verse 5, he says, Our hope, O Lord, you alone are my hope. I've trusted you, O Lord, from my childhood. Psalm 39 verse 7 says, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. So it doesn't matter what you're dealing with today. It doesn't matter what circumstance you're struggling through today. Jesus is not only the source of our hope, he is hope. He's the reason why all of us in this room today can have a sure, strong, confident expectation in God's future faithfulness and his presence. Now, if you needed some help working through a certain issue in your life, you might choose to go to someone that you would regard as an expert in that field or someone that has dealt with that situation, someone who's had victory over that situation. If you were struggling with an addiction, you might go to someone who, who had victory in the past over that same addiction. You might want to talk to someone that had personal experience in that matter. Well, I want you to know the Apostle Peter was a man that knew about the subject of hope all too well. Peter was this guy who who found himself in desperate need of hope in his own life after he had experienced the most miserable failure of his life. And some of you, as we go through this series over the summer, you're going to be able to relate to Peter's personality because we've all had moments in our lives where we've experienced moments of failure. You're going to be able to, to, to relate to his story, moments where we either failed God or we experienced a failure in life. Some of you, you're going to relate to Peter on a different level. I mean, Peter was this guy, he was, he was rugged, he was a strong-willed guy, he was passionate, he was expressive, he was impetuous, he did nothing half-heartedly. As you know, Peter was a, a man who loved to fish. When Jesus came along and called him to follow him, Peter was fishing, and he dropped all of his nets. He was fishing with his brother, Andrew. When it came to fishing, he was, he was determined, but sometimes he, was, he could be pretty obnoxious about his fishing. When it came to his friendships, he was loyal to the, to the core. He was blindly courageous. He was overconfident. At times, he stood alone, making promises that he would later not be able to keep. Peter was the spokesman for the 12 disciples. Once he, he decided to follow Jesus, there was no turning back. However, there was a moment in Peter's life where his words and his commitment were put to the test. Right before Jesus was arrested and, and tried and then sentenced to the cross, he was having a meal with his disciples. We know it as the Last Supper. And the book of Mark tells us that after they had the Last Supper together, they left the upper room, they went down onto the Mount of Olives, they entered into a garden where Jesus would pray and later would be arrested. And when Jesus and the disciples get to the garden, the book of Mark tells us that Jesus makes this remark to his disciples. He says, you will all fall away 
For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Now at this moment, guess who speaks up? Peter says, wait a minute. Even though they all fall away, even though all these guys are going to fall away, Jesus, I will not. And Jesus says to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Listen to Peter's response. He says emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Now Luke's account gives us a little bit more detail of what happened here. Jesus warns Peter. They're actually sitting in the upper room at this moment. And he warns Peter, Peter, Satan's coming after you. He is going to target you specifically. And he says to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter says to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus says to him, I tell you, Peter, The rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now I want you to imagine how Peter must have felt to hear Jesus say these words to him. Peter, you're going to deny that you ever knew me. You're going to fail miserably. Listen, Jesus knew Peter to the core. He knew that that when the pressure came upon Peter, he was going to fail him. But he offered him hope at the same time. He said, Peter, Peter, listen, I'm praying that you will not stay fallen. When you come back from your failure, I want you to strengthen your brothers. Man, Jesus loved Peter even at his worst moment. Even when he knew that he was gonna fail him, what did he do? Jesus gave him hope. This this won't be the end for you, Peter, because when you come back, you're gonna get comeback player of the year. I mean, your comeback is going to be huge. Now, I want you to look at for a moment Luke 22 because we're about to see Peter's worst moment, his lowest moment in his life. It says, then they seized him, Jesus, and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man also was with him. But he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're, you're also, you, you also are, are one of them. But Peter said, man, I'm not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And the Bible says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Peter was no longer the strong, loyal, courageous man that had just hours before told Jesus that he would die for him. This was no longer the same guy that had just cut off the ear of a a soldier who tried to arrest Jesus in the garden. This This was now a broken man who has failed Jesus. He has denied that he ever knew him. And he is standing in this in this area, away from the crowd. He is sobbing in guilt and shame. Here's a man that has walked closely with Jesus for over three years, and now he has plunged to rock bottom. He is feeling completely hopeless. And I can only speculate how this whole thing must have played out in Peter's mind. As Jesus went on to the cross, he 
He probably replayed Jesus' words over and over in his mind. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And he probably thought about the promises that he made to Jesus every single time. I would die for you before I would ever deny you. And maybe every time he closed his eyes, all he could see was the look on Jesus' face. When Jesus looked back at him and their eyes caught each other after Peter had denied him, not once, but three times. I mean, Peter had to feel like a complete failure. He had just let Jesus down. And now the source of his hope, the source of his strength, it was Jesus was completely gone. At least that's what he thought. Until resurrection morning came along. Because on Easter Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, they went to the tomb. They wanted to anoint Jesus' body with oils, with, with spices. And when they got to the tomb, the, the, the stone had been rolled away. They walked in. They saw that the tomb was empty. There was no body there, just clothes that, that Jesus had, had worn. And, but there was an angel sitting there. And I want you to listen to these words in Mark 16. This angel looks at these two woman, women and says, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell, listen to this, go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now listen, this is one of those classic moments in the Bible for me where I've read something over and over and over and over again and all of a sudden I read it again and something just jumps off the pages at me. Two words, and Peter. Folks, I want you to know that's grace. That's grace. Imagine how Peter must have felt. The two Marys come back in the room. They're talking to to, to now the 11 disciples. And they basically say, listen, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And he wants to meet all of you at the Sea of Galilee. And Peter, the angel specifically mentioned you. Specifically mentioned you by name. I can just imagine those words breathe hope back into Peter's life. I mean, that's all Peter needed. Peter had experienced hope greater than his failure. And I'm sure his mind took him to a few days earlier when Jesus said this to him. He said, Peter, you're going to fail me. But I'm praying that when you come back from your failure, I'm, gonna, I'm praying that you're going to come back strong and that you're going to use it to strengthen your brothers. Peter had forgiveness, and now he had hope because now he knew that he could move on. And I love what happens a few days later. The disciples are out in the Sea of Galilee. They're fishing, and they're not catching a thing. And all of a sudden, a resurrected Jesus shows up on the seashore. And John looks over at the seashore, and he recognizes Jesus. And Jesus yells out, hey, cast your nets to the right side. And the Bible says they cast their nets to the right side and they, they caught so much fish they couldn't even pull it. They couldn't, the nets couldn't handle all of it. And the disciple that Jesus loved, who was John, says to Peter, it's the Lord. <laughs> and when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. In other words, he was fishing in his underwear and he threw himself into the sea. Heck with the boat. Who cares about the fish? I'm going in the water because I've got to get to Jesus. I've got to get to Jesus. And what happens next is just epic. It's just epic. Jesus and Peter and the rest of the disciples, they're sitting, they're sitting by a fire and they're eating fresh fish for breakfast. Yuck. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says to him in verse 15, Simon, son of John, 
do you love me more than these? In other words, do you love me more than these other guys? Do you love me more than the fish? Do you love me more than the boat? Do you love me more than the career? Do you love me more than your, do you love me more than these? And Simon says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, then tend my lambs, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter's getting frustrated at this moment. The Bible says Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, and feed my sheep. What's going on here? Jesus is giving Peter an invitation to get back into the game. Jesus is inviting Peter into leadership. He is offering him another chance. And I think that there's something very significant about Jesus asking Peter if he loved him three times. Jesus was letting Peter know, Peter, I know that you failed me three times, but I also knew you would return. And I knew when you came back, I knew when you, you were going to be stronger than ever. And now I want you to lead what's about to happen next. Now, if you have your Bible open in your lap and you've got the book of John opened up, you know what happens next, the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, what happens? The Holy Spirit shows up on the scene. The church begins and things begin to take off. And in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, who do we find at the center of leadership? Peter. Acts chapter 1, he oversees the selection of the 12th apostle, the man who would take the place of Judas, the disciple that had betrayed Jesus. Acts chapter 2, it's Peter who preaches the first gospel message. And when he's done, 3,000 men come to Christ. In Acts chapter 3, it's Peter that leads the lame man to be healed at the temple. In Acts chapter 4, it's Peter who defies the Sanhedrin and continues to tell others about Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, it's Peter who oversees the very difficult process of disciplining Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 8, it's Peter who has to confront and to deal with Simon the magician. In Acts chapter 10, it's Peter that God reveals a vision that the Gentiles will be part of God's plan for salvation. In Acts chapter 10 and 11, it's Peter who leads this Gentile man, Cornelius, and his family to Christ. It was Peter who wrote a couple of letters that God chose to include in this book, the book of life. And I promise you, when it was all said and done, no one was more surprised than Peter. You see, we, we tend as humans, to dwell in the failures of our past. Some of you in this room have been through a divorce. Some of you have been through an adulterous situation. Some of you have been through an addiction. Some of you have been involved in in maybe having a child out of wedlock or you've lied in the past or maybe you've had an abortion or maybe you've had a moment in your life that you've just been rebellious and you walked away from God. Maybe you even had a moment where you literally just denied that God's existence and you denied Jesus. And our minds, our minds are like steel traps when it comes to our mistakes and our failures. We even tend to judge others by, pe- by, by people's failures in life, regardless of how much greatness someone has achieved in their life or how much grace God has poured upon them. We oftentimes remember them only for their failures and their sins. And even though Peter could easily fall into that category, the guy who denied Jesus Christ three times, he's a beautiful example of the power of God's grace, a man who's been given another chance. Aren't you glad that God did that for him? Aren't you glad this morning that God doesn't give up on us when we fail? Because it gives us hope, doesn't it? 
It shows every one of us that because he did that for a guy like Peter, a guy that walked with him, he'll do, he can and will do the very same thing for you and me. Why? Because hope is greater than our failures. Now let me switch gears for just a moment because we're jumping into a brand new series. Now that you know a little bit about the man, I want to take a little bit of a look, just for a brief moment, I want to look at the letter. And I want you to get your Bibles and I want you to turn it to, to 1 Peter. Because knowing the man, I think, help, ex- helps explain the letter so much better. Peter, you need to understand now, he's a different guy. He has a heart for the hurting. He has a heart for the broken. He had a heart for failures. He had a heart for people that found themselves in a, in a hopeless situation. Peter had now a ministry to people who were going through suffering. So it should be to, to no one's surprise that Peter's letter is written to people just like that. When you see the very first verse, Peter identifies himself as the, as the author of this letter. And then I want you to look at who he addresses the letter to. To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. The recipients of Peter's first letters, who are they? They're scattered aliens. What in the world is that? The English Standard Version calls them strangers in this world. That word strangers means these are people who are living in lowly conditions. These are people who are exiles. They have been driven out of Jerusalem into Asia Minor by persecution. These are people who have been broken. They have been chastised for their faith. These are believers. These are people who are in what looks like a very hopeless situation. But Peter says, uses these three words to describe these people. He says, these are people who are chosen. These are Jewish Christians who are thousands of miles away from home, but yet God has his hand on their lives. And the whole purpose of the book of 1 Peter is to help these believers to remember that their hope in Jesus was greater than any circumstance they were going to face. Don't miss that. The whole purpose of the book of 1 Peter was to help these believers and us as readers to understand and realize that regardless of what we deal with, our hope in Jesus is greater than any circumstance that we're ever going to face. That's why the emphasis of this whole book is on this one word, hope. Because Peter's reminding them, listen, your hope is in the Lord. Your hope isn't in your circumstances. Your hope isn't in the treatment that you're receiving from the government or from other people, even the circumstances you're going through. Instead, your, help, your hope is in the Lord. Your hope is in Jesus. That's the theme of the book of 1 Peter. It's an encouragement to suffering Christians during a time of severe testing that regardless of what you go through, your hope is greater than your circumstances. Hope is greater than failures. And who could better understand it than someone that had been broken? Someone who had actually failed. See, when you're going through a tough time, who do you want to talk to? You, you want to talk to either someone who's had the scars or someone who's experienced what you are going through. Think about how many moments you right now, and I thought about this this past week, how many times in your life have you doubted your faith in the past? Or how many times do you, you have literally failed the Lord? through your actions or a decision that you made or something. I I promise you, Lord, I'll never do this again. And yet you find yourself doing the same thing that you said you wouldn't do. And who understands that whole situation better than than a guy like Peter who was right there standing by the fire as Jesus is being led away, being questioned and denying that he ever knew Jesus just hours before they were gonna drive nails into his hands and feet. As we close, I'm gonna give you three things that just jump out, jump, jump out at me about this whole message. First of all, 
Failure in the past does not nullify, does not nullify purpose in the future. Failure in the past does not nullify purpose in the future. Listen, if all of a sudden we could see a quick time-lapse video of all of our failures over all of our life, listen, every single one of us, if it just flew up there, and if you saw mine, we would all walk out of here and go, you're a hypocrite. I'm not going to church with you any longer. You're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Pastor, you are a hypocrite. My goodness, look at your life. I think we're all a bunch of hypocrites. But our hope is greater than our failures. Throughout Scripture, we see this God who is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, chance after chance after chance after chance who gives people a second chance, people who have failed him but yet have been rescued by grace to accomplish his purposes in this lifetime. Second thing, a broken heart is great preparation for healing fractured lives. Listen, if you're an adult, chances are somewhere along the line your heart has been broken. You either failed or someone failed you. Listen, God does not waste our failures. He doesn't waste our trials. He does not waste our sufferings. He's using all of it to prepare you to help others through their failures. You might be this morning in in what you may think is the worst situation that you've ever been through. It is your darkest hour. It is an incredibly unfair situation that you're going through right now. But can I tell you something? It could actually be the makings of your future ministry. I know for me, when I hear of someone who's gone through a broken engagement, I can relate to that immediately. I can help that person because I've been there. When I see college students going through a moment in their college experience where they're failing in their faith and they're wandering, they're trying to make, just trying to figure out faith and wondering what it all means and trying to make sense of all the things they've been taught almost all of their lives and struggling, I can help them because I've been there. When I see someone lose someone, to a sudden tragic death, especially a man who loses a father, immediately my heart connects because I've been there. Some of you can minister to people who have been through really tough things. Some of you in this room, you can minister to people who are struggling with pornography because you've been there. You can deal with people who who have been through affairs because you've been there. Some of you can deal with people who, who have been through abortions because you've been there or people who have been in jail because you've been there. God does not waste our failures. He does not waste our trials. He does, not, he does not waste our sufferings. A broken heart is great preparation for healing fractured lives. And then finally, hope is greater than our failures. Listen to what Peter says as he begins this letter to these struggling people who desperately needed hope. Look at verse three. It says, blessed be God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, hope begins when we are born again through Jesus Christ. Our hope is not just our hope is not just in Jesus. Our hope in this life is Jesus. It is Jesus. Now some of you may be wondering how how is how is our hope in Jesus made stronger? How is it developed? Well, the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, he actually addresses this. He tells us that hope is developed and it is strengthened when we face sufferings, when we face trials, when we face failures. Because here's what he says. Those things produce endurance in our lives. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. And what is hope? Hope is a strong, confident expectation in God's future faithfulness and his presence. You see, when you walk through life long enough, 
and you walk with God long enough, you gain this knowledge, you gain this confidence, you gain this hope that because Jesus has led me through one trial and because I've watched him lead me through one disappointment and have watched him lead me through one failure, I know he will lead me through the next because he's my hope. And my hope is greater than my failures. Today is an anniversary for me. Today, 26 years ago, I got involved in full-time ministry. I moved from Virginia to a little town in southern New Jersey called Pemberton. And uh, I was single at the time. And then 17 years ago on this day, June the 1st, my wife and I and a two-year-old named Taylor parachuted into your community. 17 years ago, we came here. This past Thursday, I was running, running, and I, uh, I was going through my, running through my neighborhood, and I was thinking through how I was going to close this message. And I thought about, well, why don't I just talk about some of my failures? And so I started thinking about the first three years of being in ministry in New Jersey. I went through two broken engagements. And then I started thinking about moving to Virginia and continuing in student ministry, meeting Amy and just some of the stupid decisions that I made early on in our, not only our marriage, but just in ministry, thinking about moving here. Just some of the stupid things and failures that we had along the way. Churches that we've tried to start in certain places that didn't work. Decisions that we made that didn't work. Programs we started that didn't, didn't, didn't make it. Endeavors that we tried to gain or tried to start that didn't work. And I started thinking about people that have walked out the door over the last 17 years. And I thought to myself, now that running usually is really like a really encouraging time for me. This was really discouraging. And I was overwhelmed with my failures. And all of a sudden as I'm running, I'm like starting to define myself by all of my past failures. Here's what I know. And here's where I had to take my mind. I've been a Christian now for nearly 38 years. I've been in ministry now for 26 years. I've been in this community with you for 17 years. My hope is not built on wishful thinking. It's not built on people. It's not built on my accomplishments. It's not built on the attendance of this church. It's not built on this building. It's not built on anything outside of Jesus. Because when you walk with Jesus long enough, when you walk with Jesus long enough, you realize he's not only the source of your hope, is hope. He's hope that is greater than our failures and our circumstances. I want us to bow our head for a moment. Peter says, we find living hope in being born again through Jesus Christ. And for some of you, that's where hope needs to begin. Because for up to this point, you're just like Peter. You've been denying Jesus. Denying Jesus. The Bible says through Peter's words that God in his grace and mercy stands before you offering you a living hope. A hope that's greater than your future. A hope that's greater than your past. A hope that's greater than what you're dealing with in the present. A hope that is not only going to promise you God's faithfulness and his presence at this very moment but even into the rest of your life 
into an eternal life. And for those of you that have up to this moment denied Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus went to a cross so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be offered a second chance. And at this moment, what you need to do is repent of your sins and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me that I ever denied you, that I ever put my hope in myself or something else. My hope is in you. You are hope. And this morning, I put my faith and my trust in you alone and what you did for me on the cross. Lord, I need a living hope in my life, and that living hope is Jesus. And only through Jesus can I come to salvation. And so this morning, I receive, Lord, by grace through faith, the free gift of God, the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. I put all my hope in that. If you just did that, we want to welcome you into God's family. Would you take out your Get Connected card, take it to the Help Center, let us know that you made that decision this morning. For the rest of us, I want us to stand. Some of you are in your darkest hour. Some of you are going through tremendous failures. God is greater. Hope is greater than your failures. And if you need to come and pray, come meet him at this altar.